Pastor Doug here from Crossroads. It's great to be with you. I hope that today's message will draw you closer to Jesus. Have you ever had an experience that did not live up to your expectations? They're not a lot of fun, are they? I can remember one family vacation. We booked this resort hotel in Florida at Fort Lauderdale, right on the beach. It was supposed to be really awesome and had this cool like Spanish architecture to it. It had this massive pool. It was steps away from the beach. We were so looking forward to it. I was really excited. I'd never been to Florida before. So we show up at this resort. We walk in and immediately we knew this was not going to be what we expected. There was literally a guy jackhammering in the lobby. That's not a good start. Now they had one of those like plastic curtains up to supposedly prevent the dust and debris and all that stuff, but you couldn't even hear the check-in guy because of the jackhammering. And everywhere it was just covered in this like soot and dust, like the construction dust that just comes out. We get checked in and we're walking through the hallways and like the whole hotel is like this. It's just there's like this mist, this fog of construction dust from all the construction happening at this hotel. Like, I'm not sure if we can, we can do this. We get up to our room. We walk in our room. Same thing. Dust everywhere. There is a takeout food container still sitting in our room that we checked into. That's also not a real good sign. We can feel the walls vibrating from the various construction projects happening in this hotel. I don't think we can do this. The final straw was after we've been walking around for like 20 minutes, my brother started coughing. Just coughing and couldn't stop coughing because of all the dust in the air. Immediately, we have to get on the phone and be like, okay, this is not what we were expecting. This is not what we came for. This is not vacation. We are not staying here. We lasted less than a day. And then, we, of course, we had to pack everything back up, load it back in the car, drive to another hotel, go through that same process all over again. You ever had that experience, something like that? Or maybe you had a horrible experience at a restaurant. I was out with some friends at a rooftop place in Lancaster, and we sit down. And all of a sudden, as soon as we get seated, people around us are like, you know, they've been here for an hour and don't have food. We've been here for longer and we don't have our food. That's not, you know that that is not, that is not how you want to start your restaurant experience. But probably all of us have been there. None of us like it when our experience of something doesn't match up with our expectation. It leaves a bad taste in our mouths. It gives us an overly negative bent on a specific experience. And it causes us not to want to re-engage again. That restaurant that we went to, we had been there an hour and a half before we got our food. The food was terrible. Uh, the waitress told us there had been a kitchen meltdown. I have no idea what that means, and I don't really want to know what that means. Uh, but the food was so bad, we actually had to leave, go to another restaurant, and get dinner all over again. And we've not been back to that restaurant ever since. That's what happens when we have negative experiences. 
And if it's bad enough, we'll do things like we'll try to identify the cause of that bad experience and we'll work to avoid having that problem ever again. If you've ever booked a bad vacation, you know this. Next time, I'm going to read more reviews. I might invest a little bit more to get a better location or a higher quality. Maybe we'll talk to locals if we get a chance. So we'll engage sometimes in specific behaviors designed to help us avoid that negative experience again. We'll work on the front end next time to avoid having bad experiences, to give ourselves the best possible chance to have a great experience. So this is the second week of our series about groups. Last week we talked about that we are designed for groups. There are things you have to offer and things you need to receive from other people. And the best way to do that is in groups. So this week we're going to talk about how we succeed in groups. Because we believe that it's vital for your spiritual development to be connected to a group, we want to provide you with those opportunities. That's why we have our community groups. That's why we're encouraging you to sign up for our groups. But we don't just care about getting you into a group. We actually care about what that experience is actually going to be like for you. We want it to be an incredible, relational, and spiritually beneficial experience for you. Now, if you've ever been in a bad group, whether it's at work or school, church, or a sports team, bad groups really, really hurt your experience. In college, in the summers, I worked at a country club. And in a lot of ways, this was like an ideal job. I worked golf course maintenance. And you get to spend all summer out in this beautiful course, driving around outside in the weather. It was incredible. The only problem was nobody on this small team of employees could get along with one another. They all hated each other. Every day at work, there was some sort of argument or fight. Everyone was walking around on eggshells. What could have been this incredible experience wasn't because the group of people was so bad. And when you're in a bad group, they can not only fail to do what it's supposed to do, to what they're supposed to accomplish, but it can turn you off to the entire premise. We don't want that to be your experience. So just like our bad vacation experiences... If we want to, there are things we can do on the front end that will give ourselves the best possible chance for our groups to experience success. So let's take a look at this. What causes potentially good experiences to go bad? Now, there's lots of things on this list, but I want to focus just on two today. Two things that can cause potentially good experiences to go bad. The first one is unmixed unmet expectations, and the second is group member habits, group behaviors. Let's begin with expectations. To give ourselves the best chance to have a great group experience, we have to have a clear understanding of what to expect from groups. Makes sense. If we aren't on the same page about purpose, it can go very badly for everyone. If we're misaligned about purpose, if we're misaligned about expectations, it can go very badly. Have you ever shown up at a party thinking it was a costume party when it really wasn't? 
That is not a good experience. That is something you're going to remember. Misaligned expectations. Or maybe, maybe, I don't know, have you seen this commercial? I came out a lot, I think it was last year when, when uh, in the NFL season about fantasy football, where a guy shows up at the door, rings the doorbell, they open the door to the fantasy draft, and there's a guy standing there in a horse costume. Addy looks at everyone's looking at him. He's like, oh, I got the wrong fantasy night. Misaligned expectations. Misaligned expectations. We have to make sure that our expectations are lining up with the purpose. Sometimes that means we need to change our expectations. Okay? There's a big difference if you get a bad meal at Wendy's and a bad meal at Morton's Steakhouse. Okay? You should react differently to those two experiences. If you're reacting just as badly to the Wendy's mediocre meal as you do to a five-star restaurant, okay, we need to talk about our expectation levels. So the first thing we need to do is we need to establish what to expect from community groups, which is basically saying what is the purpose of community groups here at Crossroads. Let's take a look at a scripture that's going to help us get to the bottom of this. And we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. Now, this is a story about the early church. It is a description of what this group of people was like. Now, I want you to listen to this and see if any themes or patterns emerge from this description. So let's read. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to any who had need. We continue. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So do you catch any common threats? Any things that they had together? There are really two themes that emerge when we look at this passage. Authentic community and spiritual growth. Those are the two things that we can gather from this passage. Think about it. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Believers had everything in common. They broke bread and ate together. So what we see here is that authentic community. They met together regularly. They understood and met each other's needs. They ate together. They enjoyed each other's company. They were aligned in the same purpose. And then we see spiritual growth. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They praised God regularly. They rejoiced at what God was doing in their midst. As a result of these two specific things, this authentic community and spiritual growth, what they saw was remarkable. There was radical help, radical care for the people around them, incredible spiritual growth in their lives, and people were attracted to them. And no wonder, if you were in a community like this, how could other people not want to be involved in it? So in this, 
we understand and we get to the idea of what is the purpose of our community groups. The purpose of our groups is authentic community and spiritual growth. See, our groups are designed to be highly relational. Groups will have hangout time. They'll have time to connect and catch up with each other. Time to share what's going on in our lives. Time to pray together. Opportunities to do things together as a group. Relationships are the engines that drive our groups forward. And once those relationships are established, those relationships you develop in that group then become springboards to the conversations, the challenges, and the accountability that will help you grow. So our groups will have discussions on spiritual topics that will encourage and challenge you to take the next steps in your faith. Next week, we begin our very first series for community groups and on Sunday morning called the Red Letter Challenge. You're going to hear more about this later. So it's a great time to sign up for those groups, but you're going to be challenged on growing in your faith. We've created our community groups ministry to provide the opportunity to create communities such as this. Now, it's important that we have both of these things, authentic community and spiritual growth, in our minds when we're thinking about our groups. Our groups are not just Bible studies. We love Bible studies. We love learning more about the scriptures. But it's not just simply a class that you show up to where you're just trying to build knowledge and not have to really participate in. There is a relational requirement. There's a relational component that comes into it. You can't just show up, engage in the content, and leave. You have to put more into it. Conversely speaking, they're not just hangout times. We put content in there for a reason because we want you to grow. We want you to engage with that content. And as you're interacting with it as a group, to be challenged to grow closer to Jesus as a result. Our community groups provide us with the opportunity for authentic community and spiritual growth. Now, the key word here as we're thinking about this, the key word is opportunity. They're here to provide opportunity. There's no guarantees. There's no guarantees on outcomes in any group. I would love to be able to guarantee you that you sign up for a group, you're going to get 100%. It's going to be amazing. I would love to be able to say that. Every group is different. Every dynamic is different. However, there are things we can do. There are things we can do that will help us, that will give us the greatest opportunity to succeed when it comes to our groups. There are things we can do that will help us. So let's get back to our list. What causes good experiences to go bad? Unmet expectations and group member habits, group behaviors. So let's look at the group behavior aspect of this. There are things we can do as individuals that can help us have the best possible group experience. And if every single one of us in our groups engages in these five commitments, we create the likelihood of a great group's experience. It's not a guarantee, but it's a likelihood. So let's look at the five commitments. Participation, confidentiality, support, not advice, shared ownership, and priority. 
Now we're going to spend some time looking at each one of these things, and I want you to think about them from the relationship of what can I do in these areas to help us succeed as a group. So the first one is participation. Groups are not something you show up to. They're something you engage in. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. This will give us an idea. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Think about this. Listen to the words here. Spur one another on. Do not give up meeting together. Encouraging one another. These are all action words. They're engagement words. They're words that talk to us about how we're supposed to interact with other people. Each one of us has a role to play within our groups. Each person is needed. Like we talked about last week, Every person has a role to play in the spiritual development of someone else. That's why we're called to engage, to participate. Now, I understand when it comes to groups, there are personality effects that come into order here. Everyone has a slightly different personality and personality tendencies, which dramatically affect how you act and operate within a group. How many of you were here a few years ago when we did the color study? I loved, I loved doing that color study because it gave us an understanding of each other's personalities. Okay? And basically, for those of you who weren't here, just real quick uh, recap. We, we evaluated people kind of on four different scales. Were you introvert, extrovert, or were you people-oriented or task-oriented? And you were a combination of those, and we assigned colors to each one of those combinations. But those have dramatic effects. Our personalities have dramatic effects on how we interact in groups. I have been in groups where nobody talks. Someone asks a question and it's dead silence and everyone is sitting around there staring at each other. It's awkward. It's really awkward. Nobody likes to be that. And the longer it goes, then nobody wants to be the one who interrupts it and says the obvious thing that, hey, this is awkward. I'm going to have to say something. I've also been in groups where nobody will stop talking. Everyone is talking all the time. They're talking across each other. They're talking over each other. There's side conversations going on over here. We also don't get anything done in those environments either. So, you know your personalities, or you have some idea of your personality. So evaluate these next few statements based on whether it applies to you, and you probably know who you are. Some of you in your group need to participate more. You might sit there and think, I was going to say what somebody else already said. Therefore, I don't have to say it. No, you do. You do have to say it. We need to hear it from you also. We need to know that that's what you are thinking, not just that you're okay with what somebody else thinks, even though we don't know that because you're not saying anything. Some of you need to participate more. Some of you need to participate less. Some of you will talk 
absolutely about everything. The moment somebody else stops talking, you think of a story and you jump in there with another story that you tell for a really long time. Do you know any long storytellers? There is no detail too minute to be included in that story. Even if it involves the backstory of a person across the other side of the country you don't know, don't meet, and don't care about, you need to hear about it. Some of you need to participate a little bit less and open up space for somebody else to participate. Some of you need to not be so worried about critiquing the poor grammar that the person that talked ahead of you was saying and actually listen to what they have to say. Some of you get really fixated on grammar and punctuation and those type of things and it distracts you from listening to what somebody else is actually saying. And some of you need to stop thinking the leader needs to get this discussion back on track. We are way off topic. We are way farther down the road. We are never going to get to the prayer time if we don't cut it off. Some of us need to ease up on some of those things. Our personalities affects how we interact in groups. Participation is about your mentality. How can you best help your group with your participation? How can you serve your group beyond your mere presence? How can you serve your group with your engagement? It may mean talking more. It may mean talking less. Second one, confidentiality. James 5, 16 says this. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. We are supposed to be able to trust each other with what we're struggling with with what's going on in our lives. This is a participation. This is a major thing when it comes to the life of believers in our relationships. We are supposed to be doing this with each other. This is a deep part, a vulnerable part, a necessary part of community. And it is impossible without confidentiality. There's always limits to confidentiality, but primarily what stays and what's said in the group needs to stay in a group. Nothing, nothing kills a group faster than when someone takes something that was said within that circle and it leaves that circle and gets said to somebody else. Nothing kills a group faster. The first time that happens, nobody in that group is ever going to share anything personal again. This is part of the reason why the scriptures often talk about how terrible gossip is. It's destructive to relationships. It absolutely destroys trust. And trust is the foundation of any genuine relationship. If your group does not have trust, you won't have authentic community and you will not have spiritual growth in that group. You won't. Now, trust takes time. People trust quicker than others. Some people are very good at this. Some people are much more hesitant. Each group looks a little bit different of that. If you're a group that's been meeting together for years, you're going to have a different level of trust than a group that was just formed and you're just meeting each other. That's understandable. Trust takes time. But here's something that you can do to help with that. Take the first step. Be the first one to trust your group. 
if you aren't willing to trust your group with who you genuinely are and what's genuinely going on in your life, your group is going to remain shallow and at a surface level. Now, the key moment in any group is when somebody first shares something personal, the group gets to decide how to respond to that. Will the group recognize it for the moment that it is, that someone opened up and shared something and be thankful and grateful for it, to thank the person for sharing? Do we respond with openness to that? And do we reciprocate with openness? If someone starts sharing things personal about their life, do we respond by also sharing personal things about our lives? If no one reciprocates to the openness, openness will close back down. Confidentiality is key to any group's success. Next, support, not advice. Support, not advice. Now, a lot of you have received over the years unwanted or unnecessary advice. Now, this, this is something that happened to us recently. It's more funny than it is like really terrible advice. Um, but we were at a family get-together, and a lot of our family on this side of the family had not met Olivia before. So everyone was taking turns holding her and talking about her. And she's been going through this thing where she's teething and drooling all over everything. And so there was lots of talk about teething. And the first family member takes her a hold of her. You know what you should do for teething? You should get a chicken bone and let her chew on a chicken bone. That's great for teething. Like, chicken bone? What are you talking about here? Next family member holds her. You know what you should do? You should get her a chicken bone and you should chew on a chicken bone. Third family member, you should chew on a chicken bone. I'm like, what's going on here? Finally, they pick up on the fact that everyone is recommending a chicken bone. And so they start going around, did you chew on chicken bone? Yeah, did you chew on chicken bone? Yeah, you chewed on chicken bone. <laughs> it's like, I, I don't think I'm going to go that direction. <laughs> I mean, like I said, it was just more funny than it was like, this is horrible. But, it was, but we get that. We all get advice. We all get unusual, unsolicited advice. Parents get it all the time. Or maybe if you're single... How many unsolicited relationship advice have you gotten? Especially probably at family get-togethers and meetings. You understand that this happens all the time. So here's the thing. In groups, it is not your job to fix the other person. It's not your role to tell them what to do with their problems when they bring it to group. Unless they directly ask for your group's advice. If they directly ask, then go ahead, share, give them your thoughts. And this is hard for some of us because some of us are designed that we just want to fix problems. We hear a problem, we just want to jump in and fix it. And some people are just more inclined to say, oh, you are so right. You're right. We just agree with whatever you're thinking or saying. And that's not helpful at all times. Many people who want to give advice are well-meaning but what they think is helpful can actually come off as misguided and condescending. And this can have damaging effects on the relational dynamics of your groups. Once this starts happening to somebody when they share, again, group discussion will, will curb, will calm down. People are not going to want to share these things if they know they're just going to get a bunch of advice they don't want. Support, not advice. 
Next, shared ownership. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 13 here. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists and pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. So think about this. When we look at this, Jesus gives us leaders to do what? To equip people. To equip people. For what purpose? Why do we equip people? For works of service. Now we could spend a long time unpacking this passage and all of its implications for how we do ministry in the church. But for our purposes, for group purposes, the job of leaders is to equip the people, the people's job to do the works of service. For groups, this means this specific thing. Your group leader wants to do groups with you, not for you. Your group leader wants to do groups with you and not for you. You are just as responsible as your group leader at helping your group become a success. You are just as responsible for it. It's so easy for us to have a tendency to just sit back and default to our leader. The leader takes care of everything. They show up. All you have to do is show up. And we outsource all responsibility in the group to our group leaders, whether it's for communication or planning or food or any of that type of stuff. One of the complaints I hear regularly from group leaders is that I send out texts or I send out emails and I have a hard time getting responses. People don't respond to me. We're waiting until the last minute to try and figure out how this is going to go. Don't do that. If your group leader texts you, emails you, get back to them. I know, I know we're all busy, but we can do that. And the problem is that it's not just affecting the group leader experience, but you're limiting your own experience. The more we invest in something personally, the more we get out of it. And that's true in almost everything. So ways that you can help share ownership. Volunteer to pray in your group. Offer to help with snacks or scheduling. Offer to be the one who sends out the group message. Take a turn leading discussion. Ask your leader, hey, is there any way I can help? Those are real simple things that we can do to help make the group experience better. And now we turn to our last one, priority. This really should be the first one. This really should be the first one, but there's a lot here. So we're going we're gonna to save it for last. If you want your group to succeed, are you willing to make your group a priority in your life? Are you willing to make it a priority? Matthew 6, 21 says this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this is not just talking about our money. It's talking about what we value. Do we value our groups properly? And there's two ways that we can value our groups in our priority list. Do we want to value our groups? Can we value our groups in our calendars? When conflicts come up in our calendars, what we decide to go to determines what our priorities are. What gets written in our calendars in pen, as it were, versus what gets written in pencil. We want your group to be what gets written in pen. 
We want you to prioritize your group meetings. Now, that doesn't mean you can't ever miss a group meeting. Of course, that happens for a variety of reasons. But are you willing to make it a priority? And are you make it, willing to make it a priority in your relationships, with your relationships? We have a tendency to show up to our group, interact, but not really open up relational space for one another. And sometimes there's, this is because of other relationships, and sometimes it's just we haven't taken the steps to do it. Now, on this front, I want to have, there's a special message. I just want to give to all of you veteran Crossroads people. If you've been here for 8, 10, 20, 50 years, I want to talk to you just for a moment. You guys have seen so much change in the church over the last number of years, especially within the last two years. And perhaps some of this has caused you to feel a bit unsettled, even disconnected in the way you're used to. Well, I, w- I want to talk to you just for a moment. And to help me do this, I have uh, Rachel Denlinger. Now, she wasn't able to be here with us this morning, but here I have an interview with her talking about this type of thing. And I just want, I want to play this interview for you here, and, and we'll talk to you just for a moment. Hello. Um, I'm here with Rachel, and I uh, want to talk a little bit about her community group experience. So well, let's start uh, like this. Uh, Rachel, why don't you introduce yourself and uh, tell us how long you've been at Crossroads? Well, um, as you said, I'm Rachel. I'm Rachel Denlinger. Um, you may see me around from time to time in the cafe. Um, that's where I focus my Sunday mornings sometimes. As, lo- as far as how long I've been at Crossroads, I was, my parents attended Crossroads, so I was very young uh, when I was brought to church by my parents with my siblings. Yeah. And I grew, up, I grew up at Crossroads through the Sunday school program and the youth programs. Excellent. So you've been here early. You've been here a long time. Uh, maybe 30 years or so. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I like it. Um, now, as someone who's been at Crossroads for a long time and seen the amount of change that you have seen, and specifically the amount of change over the last two years, what, what has that change felt like for you as a veteran Crossroads member? Well, for many years, um, and even into my adulthood, uh, Crossroads felt like, um, like a, a small country church. I knew everybody in the church and everybody knew me. And so you come on a Sunday morning and that's just like a family reunion. Um, for as long as I've been at Crossroads, they've had a very, um, they're very mission-minded. We supported our, our um, denominational missions around the world. Um, but over the past number of years, Crossroads still does that, but has also viewed Mount Joy and our surrounding area as, as our mission field also. And uh, we uh, focus to reach out to those that we come in contact with every day. Yeah, and, and so as part of that, like um, kind of what, what has it felt like on, uh, on a Sunday morning for you? Um, how, how, how different has it been? Well, it wasn't, but about a couple months ago, probably came in on a Sunday morning and I even made, made a comment to Pastor Doug. It's like, 
looking around, it's like I felt like I the visitor. Yeah. Because I was seeing more people that I didn't know than people that I knew. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so that was a little uh, very different yeah. to me from when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result of this, um, last year, uh, as we began our community group year, you found yourself in a group that was largely people you didn't know, people who were newer to Crossroads. Uh, what were you thinking going in uh, to that experience? Well, I was a bit apprehensive um, going into that, not only because I did, well, I knew you and Jess, but I didn't know any of the others in the group. Plus, I was the old lady in the group, too. (laughs) These were individuals who were more in the age group of my children and Mm. probably a little younger than that. Yeah. Yeah. And what what has been the result of of the last year getting to know the members of your group, uh, these younger, newer people at Crossroads? What has that done for you as a veteran Crossroads person? Well, I've really enjoyed getting to know these young couples and um, to just to hear them, you know, uh, talk about what what they think of as church, not just crossroads, but what they're looking for in church and what that uh, what that means. Um, I love seeing their hearing about their hopes and their dreams. And um, because it's different, church looks different to that generation than with mine. Um, what is meaningful to them is new to me. I mean, I guess I grew up with a lot of different traditions in the church and a lot of them have changed. But um, it's just been refreshing to me to see their passion, the church and others. And I'm really looking forward to learning more about them. So what, uh, final question here, what advice would you give somebody like yourself who's been around for a while, who who might be feeling how you've, you're feeling, like that, that things have been different and that it, it doesn't look the same as it has? What, what would your recommendation be? Well, I guess just jump in. Um, I mean, for myself personally, and I know a lot of others in my age group, um, we have been very involved um, with in volunteering and with the church, but join in and immerse yourself into this new church. Um, it may feel totally different than what you grew up with, but I believe that God has brought us to this time and season for a special purpose. And when we're involved in anything, whether it be church, community group, work, or even our families sometimes, I mean, things change. And what changed us, it allows us to keep moving forward in some new and exciting and also scary ways. But I just say engage and get to know these new, the new people coming in because I do believe that I brought them here for a reason and brought them to us and brought crossroads to this point. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Rachel. I appreciate your thoughts and appreciate your service and uh, love being in groups with you. All right, thank you. So just say, if you've been here a while, you have so much to offer and there's so much to learn. So to wrap up, these are the five commitments. Are you willing to engage in these five commitments? 
in order to help make your group better? If so, mark that on your connection card. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you today. We thank you for the opportunity we have to be involved with other people, that we don't do faith in church alone. And as we engage, God, and as we continue to try and join groups, participate in groups, God, would you give us the opportunity to be able to share ourselves with one another, to participate in groups in healthy and meaningful ways. Thank you for the opportunities you've given us to interact in the lives of other people. Help us to take full advantage of it. In your name, amen. Thanks again for listening. Any step you take towards Jesus is a step in the right direction. You can find out more about us at crbic.org. That's crbic.org.